I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. Hurricane Laura made landfall last week in Louisiana and areas of eastern Texas as a powerful Category 4 storm, causing widespread damage and destruction throughout the area. FEMA officials have been on the ground coordinating with state, local, and federal partners throughout the preparation and now the response to the storm. And President Trump approved a major disaster declaration for affected areas of Louisiana, which will speed assistance to disaster survivors. This declaration was in addition to the emergency declaration President Trump already provided to Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas for emergency protective actions. On this agency update, we want to take a quick moment and meet up with David Bebo, the Associate Administrator for Response and Recovery, and talk about what disaster survivors can expect from FEMA as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and how the agency has been planning for storms just like Hurricane Laura since March. All right, David, so uh, as we are in the midst of the response to Hurricane Laura, um, and we think specifically about the way that we're delivering assistance to disaster survivors and those that are affected by this storm, how are we seeing the changes you've made as a result of uh, the COVID pandemic play out um, on the ground today? Let's talk about what normally happens in a disaster operation. Uh, After the very initial response, uh, usually a governor will request from the president a major disaster declaration that authorizes individual assistance. That's FEMA's authority and program to support uh, families and individuals who've been affected by disaster. Their home has been damaged, for instance. And so normally the governor requests that assistance and if there are certain indicators met, the president authorizes it and FEMA goes to work to deliver the program. We start to spread the word about uh, calling uh, the FEMA 1-800 number or visiting disasterassistance.gov or downloading the FEMA app to register for assistance. And pre-COVID times, uh, we would take that registration, do some validation checks, and then we would send an inspector to your home to validate that uh, there was a level of damage and that you were eligible, and then we would award you uh, some dollars. Now, depending upon the uh, number of uh, individuals that register and the extent of the disaster, uh, that process can take uh, several days, uh, maybe sometimes more than a week uh, or even longer in the largest of, of disasters. In COVID, we know that we need to, again, protect our employees as well as protect disaster survivors from unnecessary uh, interaction in person. And so what we've done is we've implemented uh, remote inspections where the registration process looks largely the same, but instead of sending an inspector to your home, we go ahead and have an inspector uh, call you and take a set of information, maybe gather some photographs of, of damage uh, in, in a number of cases, uh, do an evaluation of that damage, and then go through the same process that they normally would uh, in terms of awarding a certain dollar amount based on eligibility. And what we're seeing early in Hurricane Laura is that the remote inspection process, because we don't have to deploy inspectors, because the scheduling is a bit less uh, complicated uh, and and our ability to move quickly is increased, we're actually seeing that uh, inspections are getting done faster, that uh, dollars are being awarded faster, uh, which really can make a big difference when you've been affected by a disaster. Now, we also know that uh, not everybody is going to be able to uh, upload documentation using the internet. Uh, uh, maybe we're going to have areas where there are communications outages. And so we are ready to create 
uh, document drop-off centers. If you've heard of a disaster uh, recovery center where normally you'd have people coming into uh, a senior center or some other community location to in interact with a FEMA uh, staff member or with the SBA, in this case uh, it looks uh, a bit more spread out. Uh, you might see drive-through document drop-off uh, drop centers where you can get done the same things you would get done via the internet, but for folks who uh, may not have access to the internet or may only have paper documents, uh, we can still get all of that documentation in order and get assistance to those survivors. You know, David, w we have been um, in the COVID environment since March and um, it's been difficult for Americans, um, but I'm sure it's been a challenge to FEMA to think through how our response and recovery will be um, in the COVID environment as we approach hurricane season. So can you talk a little bit about what the necessary changes you've made in the way that we operate because of this pandemic have been and, um, and maybe what you're seeing now? We know as, as FEMA started to take a, a significant role in the COVID response earlier this year, uh, we looked ahead to hurricane season and thought about what we as an agency would need to do to adjust our operations, what our state and local government partners would need to do to adjust their operations, and probably most importantly, what we would need to do to protect our personnel, uh, to be able to deliver the FEMA mission, especially the life-saving and life-sustaining components of the FEMA mission, uh, without interruption and without fail, uh, COVID or no COVID. And so we did a lot of thinking. Uh, and there are really three areas that we focused and we captured most of these in a, a guide that we issued uh, in May uh, to the broader emergency management community about thinking about COVID and disaster operations. It's really three areas of focus. The first is uh, for us, how do we make sure that, uh, that we can protect our personnel? And you know, the guidance is fairly uh, consistent and is consistent with uh, what CDC has been telling us to make sure that we do. Uh, we have our personnel uh, wearing masks, uh, going out of their way to maintain social distancing, to protect not only themselves, but to protect the people that we serve. We know that when we are deploying into a disaster-affected community, those folks have been through the toughest day of their lives, and it's really incumbent on us to protect them uh, from uh, any COVID spread that could take place. And of course, uh, trying to think differently about our operations. That's like kind of the second area. So when we think about what FEMA actually does on a day-to-day -day basis to deliver the mission, there are things that we can do remotely and there are things that we can't do remotely. I can't hand you a bottle of water uh, if you're a disaster survivor through Zoom, uh, but I can, uh, through a telephone call, walk through the damage that you have experienced in your home and assess whether or not you may be eligible for FEMA assistance. And so we have to be able to do all of those things uh, in the COVID environment and Hurricane Laura is demonstrating uh, that we're able to put some of those operational concepts into uh, practice. We're deploying food and water uh, to Louisiana parishes that have been affected by Hurricane Laura. Points of distribution have been established so that uh, disaster survivors can come and access those resources. And at the same time, with the president's uh, authorization of the major disaster declaration, uh, we've been able to uh, deliver FEMA's individual assistance programs. Those are the ones that help uh, individual disaster survivors by doing phone-based inspections of damage rather than deploying an inspector to a survivor's home. And not only does that protect us from COVID, but what we're finding with very preliminary results is that we're actually able to do it 
faster. And we know that in disaster operations, speed really can make a difference uh, when you can get some financial resources into the pockets of somebody who's experienced a big loss uh, a day or two quicker. Uh, that really makes a big difference. So the third piece of the puzzle here, uh, and something that we focused on in the guide we issued in May to the emergency management community, was uh, getting them thinking about how uh, they could use the tools we provide here at FEMA to support uh, disaster survivors. And with uh, this year's hurricane season, we've actually authorized uh, pre-landfall emergency declarations earlier than we usually do and with a higher level of assistance we usually do. So what does that actually mean? It means that we have given states financial resources to put disaster survivors or people in uh, the path of a storm into non-congregate shelters. So instead of a high school gymnasium, they can go into a hotel room. And we're seeing that uh, make a big difference in the Hurricane Laura area of impact, where rather than having 10 or 13,000 uh, disaster survivors, crowded into areas where COVID could potentially spread, we're actually able to put them into hotel rooms where they can socially distance from other people uh, and frankly, where they have a little bit more uh, comfort uh, than they otherwise would in a congregate shelter. And we will always be ready, uh, along with our partners at the American Red Cross and in state and local governments to support needs in congregate shelters. But where we don't have to take that risk, it's become a really important tool for uh, us and for the emergency management community. So I have to believe that all of the planning, all of the changes that we have made through COVID are going to lead to some kind of changes in the future uh, when we are maybe moved past the pandemic itself. Um, so what kind of efficiencies maybe are you seeing in the way that FEMA is, is and will deliver our disaster assistance programs in the future? So these changes that we have made as a result uh, of COVID have given us a lot to think about about what the future of delivering disaster assistance looks like. On the one hand, we've been able to move uh, faster. And even as we move faster, we have also had to make sure that we guard against waste, fraud, and abuse by making sure that the documentation uh, is in place, by making sure those who represent they've had damage have actually had damage. Uh, and that's, that's what we will uh, be focused on going forward is evaluating uh, if we are able to manage all of the risks that are in place for the long run, uh, it could be that remote inspections uh, are the future for uh, the way that FEMA delivers its mission. And that has implications not only for individual assistance, but it also has implications in the long run for public assistance. And uh, we've actually already seen this year as COVID has been uh, a, a challenge for us to work through, we've already seen a great deal of public assistance delivered uh, through remote means. So that we know we can do it. The question is, are we able to prove that we're better at doing it uh, when we do it remotely than we are when we do it in person. And that remains an open question that we've got to think through and, and figure out for the future. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at FEMA-podcast at FEMA.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit FEMA.gov slash podcast.